Hey, podcast listeners. Did you know that at the end of every The Brews Traveler podcast, there's a nugget? Just a little something. You got to wait, though. You got to listen to the Gaelic Storm song, the last one, all the way till the end. And there it is. You've heard it before. You know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, then you might want to listen all the way through this week. Thanks. And now, history nerd alert. You've been warned. In 1729, a military expedition of French soldiers, Canadian Cur de Bois, and a cadre of Algonquin-speaking Native American scouts, led by surveyor and architect Garpard Joseph Chagreau de Larry, left Fort Niagara on the shores of Lake Ontario and headed south to the headwaters of the Allegheny River. Chagreau de Larry is one of those fascinating personas whose stamp on history is greater than his fame. He was born in Provence, France, in 1682, and he was like an aristocratic intellectual Forrest Gump. He was involved in a lot of different things. He was a cousin to both kings Louis the 14th and Louis the 15th, and he was well regarded by those in power at the French royal court in Versailles. He received a royal commission as an officer and military engineer. He was an aide-de-camp to Marquis de Vabre at the Battle of Turin during the War of Spanish Succession in 1706. And two years later, he was part of a plan to put the old pretender, that's James Stuart, James II of Britain, back onto the English throne by bringing him into Scotland at the Firth of Forth, but the attempt failed because of bad weather off of the North Sea. In 1714, Delary authored an eight-part treatise on the science of military fortifications. The work was so well received by the Ministry of the Marine, which was the branch of the military in charge of the French colonies in North America, Delary was sent to New France to help with construction in the colonies. Perhaps the most influential architect of New France from the time of his arrival in Quebec in 1716 until his death in 1756, public works that Chagreau de Lary designed include, but are not limited to, the fortifications of Quebec City and Montreal, Fort Niagara and Fort St. Frederick in New York, Fort Sault St. Louis and Fort Chamblay in Quebec, Chateau Vaudreuil at Montreal, the Governor's Pavilion in the Chateau Saint-Louis à Quebec, the façade of Notre-Dame Church at Montreal, the Bishop's Palace at Quebec City, the Palais de Justice in Trois-Rivières, and Saint-Maurie Ironworks and the mines in the region of Bay Saint-Paul. And he also worked on plans for shipyards and dry docks all along the St. Lawrence River. Even after his death, he influenced the material-built culture of New France and Quebec. Following the siege of Quebec in 1759, three years after his passing, the Notre Dame Basilica Cathedral at Quebec City was rebuilt from plans that he had drafted in 1743. But the 1729 expedition was one of planning for years to come. France claimed the Ohio River Valley, but during the late 17th and through the first half of the 18th centuries, there was an endless chain of military conflicts between France and Great Britain with proxy wars constantly breaking out on the American frontier between the British American colonies and New France. Collectively in American history, we call these the French and Indian Wars, which began in 1688 with King William's War and culminated with the French and Indian War, not to be confused with the grouping of all the conflicts, which ended in 1763. Now, to make this era even more confusing in military history, these same wars in Europe have completely different names, but we won't go into that right now. Chagreau de Larry's charge was to explore and determine what strategic points from Lake Ontario to the Ohio River would make for ideal locations of military fortifications. Chagreau de Larry traveled as far south as the Falls of the Ohio, just upstream from present-day Louisville. His recommendations led to a number of fortifications being erected between 1730 and 1755, including Fort Presque Isle near present Erie, Pennsylvania, Fort Le Boeuf on French Creek of the Allegheny River, and the most famous being Fort Duquesne at the confluence of the Allegheny and Monongahela Rivers. 
That's where the Ohio River begins. Now, during the last French and Indian War, that's the one that ended in 1763, the British took the point where Fort Duquesne sat. The French had burned it as the larger British force approached, and they rebuilt that fort, named it Fort Pitt, and that later became Pittsburgh. Back to Larry. He returned to Quebec, and his notes and journals became one of the most important set of documents about early American cartography, especially that of the upper Ohio River Valley. He mapped the upper reaches of the Ohio River and many of its tributaries, including one particular river that flowed into the Ohio from the south. Ascending that stream nearly 100 miles, Delaurie's party came upon a large Shawnee town of perhaps as many as 1,000 inhabitants. Aided by the translators among the Algonquin-speaking scouts, Chagrot de la Rie offered tribute of trade goods, knives, blankets, other sundry items to the Shawnee leaders in exchange for safe passage through their lands. De la Rie called the town Iscapakithiki. In a French census of native villages in New France, written just a few years later in 1736, Iscapakithiki was noted as being the largest town of the Shawnees within the French domain, with a population of over 200 families. News of Chagrin de Lary's trip traveled throughout New France and the British colonies as well. But between the time of the end of the French and Indian War in 1763, the town had been abandoned. In 1769, British frontiersman John Finley, having heard rumors of Iscapakithiki, he went over the Appalachian Mountains and tried to find it. He returned to the settlements and encouraged another frontiersman, Daniel Boone, to come with him on his next hunting trip. Within a few years, both Finley and Boone led thousands of settlers to the river valley where Iscapakithiki once stood. But Finley and Boone never knew the location by that name, Iscapakithiki. Over the 30 or more years and the hundreds of miles and the many exchanges of word-of-mouth stories about the settlement, the name of the town, the land, and even the river where the town was located had changed. From Iskapakithiki to Kithiki to Kitiki to Kentucky and eventually the United States' first organized territory and the 15th state of the Union Kentucky. This is episode number 30. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first show of 2019. Thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. I am Alan Tamman, and I'll be your host here on The Bruise Traveler for the next little while. Hey, this week, we're visiting one of the most creative, fun-loving, can I say quirky, but in a, in a good way, brewery that I have yet visited. Against the Grain Brewing in Louisville, Kentucky, and I sat down with their media maven, Katie Malk, and heard all about the adventures of this great little brewery in the Bluegrass State. Now, freelance journalist Tony Rehagen, he's on assignment this week in Las Vegas. Viva Lost Wages! But he'll be back next week, and he promises he'll have a new segment for us then. So this week, kids, guess what? It's just me, Uncle Al, and we're going to talk about Against the Grain Brewing. But first, let's learn something about Louisville, Kentucky, on the banks of the old Ohio. And now we head on down the road with the Bruce Traveler. Where will the highway take us this week? Where will we lift a pint and who will we meet? Let's find out. Before last month's trip out east, the first and only time I had ever been to Louisville, Kentucky was in the fall of 1980. I'd just gotten off a towboat there. I, I think some of you have listened to the show know that was one of my first jobs after high school. And I took a bus ride back to Hannibal. And that was 38 years ago, and although I wasn't in Louisville very long, maybe just three or four hours, the city today didn't seem remotely 
like anything I remembered from 1980. Of course, when I got off the boat, I was on the riverfront, and generally speaking, the riverfronts of river cities are not the nicest places, uh, well, according to, you know, some, to my experience anyway. And uh, I don't think I went too far to get to the bus station, but anyway, I may not have seen the best parts of town back then, but this time, I really felt like Louisville was a cool place. It is a cool place, and I really want to go back um, in the summertime, pick up a Louisville Bats baseball game. Uh, you're going to realize if you haven't already, I'm kind of a baseball nut. It's pretty, it's an important thing. It's kind of an obsession. And anyway, every one of the cities that I go to and I see a ballpark, I'm like, God, I gotta come back here and see park like Pittsburgh. I gotta go back and see a Pirates Cardinals game. Gotta do it. I can't, I can't help it. I gotta do it. Anyway, where was I? I've, got, oh, I've also got to slow down these trips. I, I One or two nights in a place just isn't enough. I've got to start planning out so I can stay at least two nights everywhere I go and hopefully three nights, really get to know the cities, get to know the town, get to know the people, etc. And I've got to start doing that. And, uh, you know, that's just an excuse to go back. I missed a lot on my first trips, and I'll have to go back and see them again. Louisville is a really neat city. The downtown um, it really impressed me. It has one of the largest collections of 19th century cast iron building facades in the country. And thanks to a 37-mile-long flood wall system, preservation and investment in the older parts of town is always ongoing, and it, it shows. Now, back in 30, 1937, 60% um, of the city was flooded by the Ohio River, and that forced more than 20,000 people to evacuate. And then over the next few years, that's when the flood wall was planned and eventually it was built. Louisville was incorporated in 1780 during the American Revolution, and it was named after King Louis XVI of France, whose popularity with the young United States was off the charts since France had funded a good portion of the Continental Army. Now, unfortunately, uh, Louis's popularity with his own people went into decline shortly after the American War for Independence, and the king and his queen, Marie Antoinette, uh, you know, they both lost their heads to the guillotine during the French Revolution in 1793. So he only knew about a city named after him for 13 years. But anyway, or maybe he didn't even know. It's out there in, in the frontier, who knows. The location of the city owes itself completely to the geography of the Ohio River. Just upstream from Louisville and the original settlement, there ran a stretch of rapids known as the Falls of the Ohio. Until the early 1900s, steamboats ascending the Ohio River had to stop at Louisville and have their cargo portaged overland past the two-mile-long drop of 26 feet. Now, with a series of lock and dams that were built on the river by the Corps of Engineers in the 1920s, a large pool of water was created over the falls, allowing larger boats to safely navigate over the rapids. Louisville's most famous annual occurrence is, of course, the Kentucky Derby, held every year on the first Saturday in May. Churchill Downs, where the race is held, was established as the Louisville Jockey Club by Meriwether Lewis Clark, the grandson of explorer William Clark in 1874. The locals called the race course Churchill Downs, after Clark's uncle, John Churchill, who had once owned the 80 acres just south, or down, from Louisville. The name was officially adopted by the venue in 1937. Louisville also has a long history with alcohol. It's thought that the name bourbon, that is the name we give for aged American corn whiskey, was first applied in the city. However, there's some argument about this, and there's not much evidence to either story. Some say that the name was added because most of the aged whiskey was being sent to New Orleans and sold in the French Quarter on Bourbon Street. Others say it's a reference to Bourbon County, Kentucky, where some of the finest of the product came from, and that is into Louisville, before being shipped down the river to Louisiana. And like I said, there's really no evidence for either one of these stories, but regardless, Bourbon was the dynastic name of the aforementioned French royal family that lost its head. So either way, 
that's where the name originated somehow or another. And speaking of bourbon and the Kentucky Derby, did you know that the official drink of the Derby, the mint julep, it really originated in Virginia, not Kentucky. But in Virginia, it was made with rum instead of whiskey, and once the good people of Louisville adopted the beverage, they readily replaced the Caribbean spirit with the local specialty. And in 1938, the mint julep became the official drink of the Kentucky Derby, but only if it was made with bourbon. And while we're talking about bourbon, it only makes sense that the bourbon old-fashioned was first served in Louisville's swanky Penn Dennis Club in 1890. I guess the next thing that Louisville is most famous for is the iconic Louisville Slugger baseball bat. The Hillrich Wood Turning Company started out as a woodworking shop in the 1850s. The owner, J. Frederick Hillrich, a German immigrant, was not a baseball fan, but his son, Bud, was an amateur player. Bud Hillerich apprenticed under his father, who taught him how to fashion different kinds of wood, and he took that a step further and learned how to make bats. And he offered to make one for the local pro, Pete Browning, of the Louisville Eclipse, after watching Browning break his bat in a game. Browning took up Bud's offer, and the new bat, made from white ash, delivered three hits in the first game he used it in. Browning continued to hit well with the bat, and the rest of the team wanted Hillerich to make their bats for them. The old man refused to dedicate any of his production to something as frivolous as a game, fearing that if he were unable to supply the construction trades with stair rails, chair spindles, porch columns, they might take their business elsewhere. But young Bud persisted, and on his own time, he made bats for some of the players. And eventually, the old man came around, and they started selling the bats under the name Falls City Slugger. The elder Hillerich retired and Bud took over the business completely in 1894, and he had the name Louisville Slugger patented and copyrighted in that year. In 1905, Hannes Wagner of the Pittsburgh Pirates, perhaps the biggest star in the game at the time, he signed an endorsement deal with Hillerich and became the first player in baseball to ever do so. In 1916, Frank Bradsby came on board as a salesman, and Hillerich saw potential in Bradsby, and he made him a junior partner. By 1923, Hillerich and Bradsby's Louisville Slugger was the biggest selling bat in the major leagues, with hitters from Ty Cobb to Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Hank Aaron, Cal Ripken Jr., Willie Mays, and Derek Jeter, all swinging the Slugger and it still remains one of the most relied upon bats in the game today. And speaking of Louisville and baseball and bats, right in the shadow of Louisville Slugger Field, home of the Louisville Bats of the AAA International League, sits against the grain brewing and smokehouse. And right now, if you're not driving, while you listen to this, you should go to their website. That's A tgbrewery.com and look over their pages there and you'll get a visual of some of what Katie Malk of Against the Grain Brewing and I talked about during our conversation and here it is your interview of the week Hi guys and here we are in Louisville, Kentucky on a very, very very cold morning Uh, and I am we're at Against the Grain Brewing, right next to the Louisville Slugger Baseball Complex. Uh, I think everybody knows that's probably where most people know Louisville is because of the baseball bats. And I'm here with Katie Mulk of Against the Grain Brewing Company. She's the Marketing and Media Relations Director. And Katie, thank you for seeing me after I messed up <laughs> our first appointment. You're welcome and thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> You know, a lot of people might have said, oh, well, screw it, you missed your chance. And then, uh, <laughs> But I thank you so much. Um, to fill you guys in, I had put it down that we were meeting on Monday morning. She had, we had agreed to Sunday morning and somehow or another in my alcohol, alcohol Zymers messed up mine. <laughs> I put it down as Monday and thank you again. Yeah. Uh, great apologies, I appreciate it. So I just found out about 
against the grain a few weeks ago. Um, and I, I want to say a couple of things first. I think that your marketing vision is yeah. absolutely brilliant. It's, it, it, you know, your artwork, it reminds me of a lot, a lot of the counterculture magazines and like the, the old Rolling Stone and uh, High Times and National Lampoon, the cartoons that were in that stuff. And I don't know if that was a, a purposeful move, but when I look at that, that's what I think of is all of that artwork from that time. Yeah, definitely. Dark humor is something that we definitely uh, slide in anywhere we can and definitely the the images that you see definitely portray that, especially the cartoon, this sort of like, I almost liken it to like Adult Swim as well, like this very mm -hmm. unabashed uh, counterculture is what it is, because beer is counterculture, and craft beer is counterculture. So the artwork is actually done by uh, a guy here in Louisville, his name is Robbie Davis. Uh, and. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's unabashed. It's it's creepy and grotesque sometimes. Uh, <laughs> definitely. Well, looking behind us too, we have the Rico Salvin is maybe and I'll describe him. He's kind of this hipster-looking character who's uh, touching his nipple, <laughs> and uh, he's uh, he's Rico, and that's him. And a lot of people either get our artwork or they don't, and and there's some some joy in that as well. I think that especially something like the brown nut. Are you familiar with that can? Right. Yes. I saw, yeah. 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 Uh, people are either really love that and get the humor. Or they think it's just disgusting. Or they, yes. Or they, we've actually you, gotten, yeah, yeah, we've gotten emails of people who hate it and want us to close down and uh, people who email us and say, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. So, you know, get over it. You know, yeah. People, it's, this is 2018. You know, this isn't Victorian. Yeah. No. Yeah. We kind of do whatever we want, so Good. screw Good. it if they don't like it. Your marketing and media relations here. How did you get involved in craft beer? <sighs> Drinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, so yeah, I was out of college actually. I guess it was four years ago, three or four years ago, and I used to come to Against the Grain a lot. And so I was actually writing for a magazine here in town, so I got to know some of the owners and was writing about beer. and. As things typically in true against the grain fashion, uh, Sam Cruz, the visionary, as he calls himself, asked me to apply to basically be his assistant. And I was like, cool, yeah, is there free beer involved? <laughs> and I did, and that's kind of evolved in the past uh, three years into a position that is much more than it ever think was intended to be. And that is very much so the culture here too, that uh, there's lots of opportunities and a lot of room for growth. And if you enjoy doing something, go with it and there and who knows you might end up being where, where I am now which is a lot it's got it's got to be fun working in the industry yeah I mean, I mean, yeah and, and, and especially was, in the like not your marketing is creative I mean mm -hmm. a lot of marketing is buttoned down uh, nine to five you know okay let's figure out how we're gonna sell our product but you guys you put some creativity into it oh yeah everyone that works here is a creative I mean I've never been maybe in a more creative space ever, uh, including from the top, I mean, all four owners, everyone that kind of works in the different sectors here. I mean, I've never worked with more people that I also hang out with like on the weekends right. or the collaboration too between everybody is so beautiful. Just ideas like there is no bad idea here. I mean, there is, but we want to hear it and it can And then evolve. we'll laugh at you. Yeah. And then we laugh behind <laughs> your back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I couldn't imagine actually working anywhere else just because of the creative freedom as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, just the people and the humor. Everyone here is so funny and I don't know, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> you mentioned the four owners. Yes. Uh, so tell us about these guys, Andrew, Jerry, Sam, and Adam. And some of them come from other planets, according to your uh, website. <laughs> they wish they came yeah. from other planets. <laughs> uh, sure, so kind of the story there is that uh, well, the four owners, they worked at another brewery. They were all brewers there at one point or another. So Jerry and Sam were actually, Jerry was the main brewer there, and Sam was the um, assistant brewer, but Adam was also, and Andrew worked in the restaurant there too. Uh, so they kind of met that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, fed up with like the dissatisfaction of not having that creative license and not doing what they really wanted to do or feel like they were being heard, they branched away and decided to open their own brewery. Uh, they didn't have any money <laughs> or uh, they really just had the idea and in a time when Louisville craft beer was very what we call grayscale brewing so this would have been 
mid 2000s, so like 2008, 2009, somewhere around then, because we opened in 2012. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so they, they decided that, you know, it was time for Louisville to branch out from this gray. And what I mean by gray is that pale ales were pale ales, and they were called pale ales. And then you had brown ales that were called brown ales. Brown ales. And then you had porters that were porters. And you could go to Yawn. one place. Yeah, you yeah. could walk to one place, drink one, and it tastes just like the one over here. Yeah. So but we all experienced this. And then so they decided that it was time to put their character, their personalities into something, which became Against the Grain in 2012. Uh, and it wasn't ever supposed to be a restaurant. <laughs> this place just kind of... Uh, happened to come up uh, and it had a restaurant in it so that's how it kind of came to be that's this location that's here this location yeah how so long have you guys been been in this location we had our five-year anniversary two years ago okay. so it's seven years now. seven years so from seven the beginning years. from the beginning we've oh. always been here oh, okay it's, well, uh, it's an amazing it's an amazing uh, facility it's <laughs> it's like a campus actually it's a yeah, huge building because we're part of the we're part of the baseball stadium which used to be the old train station here right. so that's why it looks the way ah, that it does. Yes, train makes, station. Makes complete sense. Yeah, so we moved in here, which was rough because there's a place in here before called Brownings, and they didn't do craft beer, and you've got baseball fans, right? Mm -hmm. So when we came in and we introduced our hoppy beers and our, you know, multi creations, they weren't having any of it. So we really, I think, forged that. We forced that consumer to try these kinds of beers, and we did that by making it approachable by the names. So right. something like Citrus Down or the Brown Note, you're like, that's hilarious. That's I definitely funny. I gotta try, try that, yeah. And then it turns out, oh, I like, I like that. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of how it started there. Uh, it's a 15 barrel brew system that's here. It is that brewing system, which is upstairs that you can see it's Victorian style, right? right. So you can look up and see uh, the mash tun and the boil upstairs and right. you see fermenters. And, and that's just for the brew pub. That's just for the brew pub, the 15 barrel is. And it's actually was built for show, not to actually brew on it. So we've really, this whole place was never really supposed to be how we're using it. It's uh, <laughs> constantly fixing things and constantly doing repair, but that's the beauty in this place. There's character. Right. It's not perfect and it's not, we didn't come in and build it from right. the floor up. We used what we had and right. still continue to do so. It is a business, and as any of us who've tried to start a new business, we think we have an idea of where it's going. Right. But sometimes the path leads us down another trail. Yeah, definitely. Uh, which is the other trail for us is barbecue here. Right, <laughs> so, and it's amazing. Yeah, it is good. We do smoke everything in house. Our chef Jordan DeLuce has been here since day one, uh, and uh, yeah. Barbecue place, craft beer, which seems weird for Kentucky. We right. actually coined the term Kentucky barbecue, which really just means that it's barbecue in Kentucky. <laughs> I came in last night. I enjoyed some of your beers. Uh, your Citra <laughs> Down IPA was absolutely delicious. Yeah. Very, is, that, is that like your number one seller? It's a, if we're going to use this term flagship, I it's would, say, flagship. I would yep. say yes. Uh, okay. It's definitely something people seek. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of our biggest brands. It's a, what is your biggest brand? Well, I would say Citra, but okay. also... Uh, we do Bo and Luke, which is kind of that rare one that everyone Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. So Bo and Luke is a beer. It is an imperial smoke stout aged in bourbon barrels. So uh, that we release it once a year. It's kind of the thing that people line up for and okay. will camp out overnight to kind of get. Uh, and it employs the same. It's like a recipe. Like, uh, like bourbon is huge here, right? So right. it employs those same kind of ingredients that you might find in bourbon, which is corn, malt. Uh, and then cherry wood is what we, a cherry smoked malt is what we right. use for that uh, and then we barrel age it uh, for what we call three Kentucky months or <laughs> right. whatever but uh, the original batch that we did was actually in Pappy barrels uh, we use different bourbon barrels now but but yeah Bone Luke is the one that people will they, trade they seek it, it they out, seek it out. Right. yeah and it's delicious I mean it's it's a great style it's sm it's lightly smoked so you uh, that's different I think right. especially us being a smokehouse too we do a lot of smoked right. beers so um, yeah. I had the brisket and it was like butter. Yeah. I mean, it just fell mm -hmm. apart. And then I was really impressed. In fact, I, on your appetizer menu, you have pork rinds, which is one of those snacks that I eat a lot of because I, I ingest too many carbohydrates from beer. <laughs> and pork rinds doesn't have 
uh, very many carbs, right. and if any at all. <laughs> and you guys make them in house. We do. So they did they come out and they, they were the crackling. Line. They were crackling yes. when yes. they came out to the bar. Yeah. I was like, oh, all right, I'm impressed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, those are delicious. Yeah, uh, we make them in house. Wow, that's great. So the brew pub has got a 15 barrel system. How big is the production brewery? Sure. So four years after we opened here, we opened the production facility, which is a 30 barrel system. It's in a warehouse uh, in the Portland neighborhood of Louisville. Again, that's very industrial. There's not much going on down there. Right. Uh, so it's a 30 barrel. Uh, it's Sprinkman, so it's Illinois. It's from Illinois. Uh, and then we have our canning line down there, and that's actually where we age everything that is put in a bourbon barrel okay. uh, down there. So, yeah, 30 barrel, cranking it out all the time. Great. <laughs> Last year you did what? Uh, just over sixty-one hundred, maybe sixty-one ninety-one. Six thousand, yeah. Yeah. Just over and 6, what are you? On, do you know what you're on course to do in twenty eighteen? Uh, twenty nineteen. Uh, or no, this year. This year, yeah. I think the goal was twelve thousand. I don't know what it is. Okay. We doubled it. So they haven't reported them yet on. Right. VA, the goal so. was twelve thousand. I think we're hovering around maybe eight. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Distribution. How? Where can people? Where do people <laughs> have to go to get your beer? Uh. Louisville, Kentucky. Now, uh, so we're kind of all over, actually. I like to say that we're a mile wide and an inch deep. So we actually sell internationally. In fact, wow. we just opened a brewery in Japan uh, uh, called Ikanashi. Uh, you, well, stop. You, <laughs> you, you guys opened a brewery in yes. Japan. Yes. Uh, it's on an island. Uh, I can't pronounce it correctly, but it's against the green Ikanashi. So they... Uh, Jerry does a lot of international. We do. We've been selling beer actually in Europe before we even were actually selling beer here in Louisville, is that which right? is a very strange thing. But we just had friends over there, you know. So when we were opened, you know, we'd send stuff over there, and it's just kind of grown since then. So we're in Spain, France, most of Scandinavia, uh, so like Norway and Denmark, uh, Germany, uh, Australia, and uh, Hong Kong, uh, and also South America, Brazil. Right. Uh, so. And all this is international, so yeah. And that's there's got to be there's got to be a lot of challenges with international yeah, sales, yeah. and that could be another rabbit hole we could go down into. Sure. So, but we're in the United States here, Ken. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. if you don't have a plane ticket, uh, you can. Uh, we're in. Uh, I think fluctuating. It depends on availability and our many distributors across the U.S. But anywhere between 42 and 45 states. So. Here regionally, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, uh, Illinois, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, Atlanta, Florida, uh, Boston. I mean, yeah, basically okay. anywhere. If you, except Missouri. Except, yeah. We might be in Missouri. I'm not I sure. Don't, I don't think. I forget I, about Missouri often, actually. <laughs> we have some really odd, we have some odd rules. Yeah. Getting licensed to distribute in Missouri sometimes sure. is a bigger challenge than it is in other states. Right. Our, um, our national distribu dis distributor is 12%. So 12% okay. is a wholesale. Uh, mm -hmm. So anywhere that 12% is sold, yeah, you're going to find against the grain. They're not in Missouri. Yeah. So, oh, well, boo. I'll have to take some beer home. <laughs> now your portfolio. I like how you guys have divided the beer into six different categories. Yes. You have, and if you go to the website, and it's uh, atgbrewing.com, I'll put it in the show notes over on the Facebook page. If you go to the website, you will see some of the artwork that we've been talking about, but then you will be able to look at all the different types of categories of beers they make. Hop, smoke, dark, malt, session, and whim. Tell us about that. Sure. So like I was explaining earlier, uh, when we were in this era of beer where it was all grayscale, right? Uh, we wanted to create these categories to be able to brew in a style, but not beholden to that style, right? So hop represents anything that's hoppy, but it doesn't mean that we can't do something, you know, which nowadays doesn't sound crazy, but then it was. It was like a pineapple hoppy beer, like right. something like that, right? Tropical something that Yeah. Uh, and also, so yeah, so the six categories, hop, uh, session, hop, whim, dark, smoke, and malt, uh, are the categories that we brew under. So any beer that falls into that category, it can have a different recipe, whatever. Like for example, uh, retitled is our Pilsner. So we call that a session beer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, 
And Citri Stout falls under hop, obviously, right. which most of our beers fall under hop because we do three different ones. Uh, but smoke is a category, mm -hmm. too. Uh, so anything that's smoky, so Bone Luke falls in that category. Dark would be that 35K milk stout. Uh, whim is probably my favorite character, and a style is just, whim is just anything we want to do on yep. a whim. Yep. Uh, which is maybe what you had last night, like sketchy on purpose, which is a Berliner Weiss with pawpaw fruit. Yeah, pawpaw. I mean, because I grew up in rural Missouri, and that's how we said it when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And then I say Missouri now everywhere I go. That's another long story. But when <laughs> um, we used to harvest pawpaws in the fall along the creeks in the in the in yeah, the, yeah the along it's a beautiful the, fruit. Yeah, and yeah, it's if, those of you who have never had a pawpaw. It's kind of like a banana, but it's. Uh, it's a cross between a banana and a persimmon. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of where it's at. The, f the flesh has the consistency of a persimmon, but the taste is banana-ish. Yeah. If that's a word. And they grow wild. And that's why I chose it. Mm -hmm. I saw, okay, I like Berliner Weiss. I like sour beers. And here's one that's made with pawpaw. Yeah. So, and if I'm going to, actually, since it is a sessionable beer, yeah. I'm going to have one <laughs> with my lunch before I hit the road. Definitely. Uh, but those categories, so also something that we did was we put characters, assigned characters. I so saw it, yeah. Can, the can artwork that you're seeing on Citra, you'll see hop. That is the character hop. It is the category, but it's also the person hop. Right. Uh, so any beer that we make that's hoppy and gets packaged will have that character on it. It has so a cartoon character associated hop, with it. Right. Yeah. So Rico, that's hop there. Citra has hop on it. And he's just portrayed in different scenarios okay. that relate to what that beer is in the name. So like Pile of Face, you'll see on that beautiful purple can, Hop is rummaging through garbage <laughs> for Pile of Face. But on Citra, he looks very like hipster. And then Rico, obviously, we mentioned earlier, he's got kind of his chest is exposed and his tattoos are showing. And Session is a female, our only female character actually, and she's on Retitled. She's got, she's the wrestling character, and that's uh -huh. our Pilsner that we do. Uh, and Dark is the skull guy. He's kind mm -hmm. of our creepy, like, lurking in the shadows guy. Uh, and he's on 35K. Smoke is our, looks like he's been lingering in a, like, truck stop, like, bathroom too long, like, chain smoke and cigarettes. Yeah, cig yeah. cigarette dangling from his lips and yeah. his pockets full of cigarettes. Yeah, 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 that. definitely. And uh, who am I forgetting? Oh, Malt. Malt, of course, is the guy who's missing a hand from a noodling accident, is what we like to say. <laughs> and, again, those of you who aren't from this part of the world noodling is oh yes yeah it's catching cat it's catching catfish preferably flathead catfish by going underwater into their burrows where the fish is guarding the eggs and dragging it out yep with your bare hands but malt lost his hand so he doesn't noodle anymore uh and then whim of course we like to say whim is no one to himself so whim kind of takes on whatever Whatever he or he she wears is a feeling. Mask. Yeah. That's is, the character that wears a mask. Yeah, the, the cardboard mask, yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, that's a brilliant, I'll tell you why, as a consumer, as a guy that just walked in here last night, never had any of your beers, I could look up there on your list and I could say, oh, okay, I know what that is. I got an idea. And I wish that I hadn't been so exhausted last night. I would have stayed a lot later. Yeah. But I, I tried to rouch beer, which. Mm. Going from the Citra uh, to that, uh, it, it was <laughs> shocking. Is it, it was shocking. Like. <laughs> it was shocking. And then I had the uh, I had the uh, sketchy on yeah. I had the sketchy on purpose the pawpaw beer. I had that with my dinner. Right. Yeah. But they were all good. Um, but you know how it is if you're a, a craft beer enthusiast, you don't want to drink a really smoky beer right. after you've had something that was kind of lighter. Mm -hmm. Maybe. You know, it just depends on your taste. Yeah. The cartoon characters are brilliant. You guys, mm -hmm. I, I, that, that, when I looked at your website, the first thing that it did, I was like, okay, I've got to see this place. Yeah. I, hope, I hope it's as creative as I think it's going to be. And it has been. Yeah, good. <laughs> okay, you've been here how long? Uh, it'll be three and a half years. Three and a half years. One day, hear it against the grain that you stand out like your greatest memory. Oh, goodness. Uh, man, there's been a lot of memories here. Uh, but I don't know if it's my greatest memory, but it is all memory. Uh, mm -hmm. When I, I think it was like my first month here, and I, I was just getting into craft beer, but I'd never brewed before, and they made me brew one day. Sure. And we were actually making a... <laughs> 
a donut beer. <laughs> so, no, that's not funny. <laughs> I know other, other breweries that I've interviewed make donut beers. Right. So it's kind of when this pastry craze was kind of starting at the beginnings of it. And I had a brew day with Amelia Pillow, our, our brewmaster here at the pub. Uh, I got up very early and uh, went in. I did the mash tun because here nothing's automated. Everything's still manual. So when you are done uh, mashing in, you have to mash out. And uh, it's on the third floor. So you have to climb ladders and you have to get a tiny little service elevator to bring the spent grain out and put it down and wheel it out. So it's a process and I'm not a brewer. So I'm doing this and it's it's hot. Like it's I'm sweating, I'm not good at it. Like I would rather be eating a donut than actually making the donut beer. And I'm wheeling these like gallon like trash cans out, putting them on the thing and Amelia's like, so we're gonna have you do something else. <laughs> I'm so slow at it so right. she takes me off of that and I, I, I don't even remember if I even finished out doing anything I think I just stood around then after that being non-useful but it was such an experience to me because I loved that they they took me on I was never I'm not a brewer and that wasn't my job but they right. wanted me to learn the process and how to do it and made sure that I felt as inclusive in all parts of how this works, and I right. always appreciated that. And I can say that I, I kind of brewed a beer now. <laughs> well, you know the process, and I think that's important in knowing your product as as a marketing and salesperson. Yeah. Do you guys do any happenings here on an annual basis? Do you have like big parties and whatnot? Absolutely. So that release for Bone Luke happens once a year in Aug or in October, okay. I should say. So that's the big one that we do. Uh, we also release 70K once a year as well. That's our Imperial Milk Stout too that we do. It's the double recipe of 35K, which is what we can. And 70K, we bottle that and release that once a year. Uh, also, we do a music series in the summer called okay. the Local Lineup. Uh, so that's something we do free for the Louisville community here and we set the stage on our patio and people can come drink beer and listen to music cool. uh, but yeah but Bone Luke as far as beer releases are concerned is the big one we do once a year I bet uh, you guys it's really big party anytime the bats are at home playing uh, yeah it's a big party anytime really right <laughs> against the grain to be honest we've had uh, a lot of people come through and I don't know we shotgun a lot of beers here actually right <laughs> yes it's always a party here. <laughs> what challenges do you foresee for ATG um, against the grain out in the industry, or what challenges do you see for the industry? Um, well, I hopefully none. <laughs> but to be honest, it's so it's very saturated, as we all right. know, right? right? So to maintain that creativity, but also that honesty that you have to yourself, right? So. I think there's kind of this double-edged sword of doing what you want and making what you want. Like mm -hmm. if I feel like I want to make a smoked coffee lager and call it coffee beer, that's on tap right now. I want to be able to do that, but does the consumer want that? Right. I don't know. But so what do you, so I think that's like, do we listen to what the consumer wants, which right now I feel like is definitely like more light beers like Pilsners and lagers, as opposed to when you know, really hoppy beers, like aggressively hoppy beers were in. It's not really the trend anymore. So do you, like, you follow brewing trends or you... Make march? what you want to make. Right, and I think there's this really sweet spot that you kind of ride, and it's a hard sweet spot to be in, and I think for us, we do that line very well. Uh, we kind of use this as an experimental house here, the brew pub, and then our production facility, obviously, we make those kind of core brands down there. So I think we ride that line really well, and I hope that we can continue to do that, right, as the future of craft beer. Who knows what it's going to be, but hopefully to maintain that sweet spot, I suppose, within the, within the industry. I well, mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, sounds like you guys have a plan. You have a brewery in Japan. Nobody I've mm -hmm. talked I've talked to a couple of people there associated with breweries in Germany. Right. But that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's not, they're not open brewing yet, but actually they're in Chicago ex inspecting the brewing equipment Great. as of two days ago, so, Great. but yeah. So besides that, what else is coming down the road for Against the Grain? Oh man, uh, well, uh, I'm not sure when this comes out, but obviously the 70K release will happen in April, April or May, and also uh, we'll be releasing London Balling on Barana, which is a really interesting story. We're actually the only brewery in the United States that has an on Barana wood barrel. 
Amberanas wood native to Brazil, so it's a lot like uh, cherry wood is to the United States, okay. where people will either smoke food with it or like build their cabinets out of it. All right. <laughs> so Amberana is the same there. Uh, they age uh, what you call uh, aguardiente, which is a cane sugar liqueur in mm -hmm. Amberana barrels. Uh, Jerry went down and brokered with uh, a. Uh, barrel maker down there and we actually purchased two Amarana barrels from them. So we do a lot of aging in those barrels. And that barrel, you implore a lot of spice from that barrel. So a lot of like cinnamon and like nutmeg, really? like, yeah. So uh, London Balling is our barley wine that we do. So we'll be releasing that again in January and it's been aging London in those beers. Balling. Yeah, London Balling. <laughs> yes. I, have, I haven't read all of your brands, but every time, every one of them gives me a chuckle. Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Katie Malk. Yes. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I and again, okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to apologize one more time for not being here yesterday. <laughs> no, that's all right. But thank you for seeing us. Thank you for being on the Bruce Traveler. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Let's all get right. you a beer. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks again to Katie and all of the staff at Against the Grain. I had a great evening there, and it was a great interview. I also had the pleasure of meeting two of the owners, Andrew and Adam. And uh, I tell you, their approach to marketing is unique and memorable, and I look forward to getting back to Louisville for nicer weather, a baseball game, and hopefully get to visit with those guys, and also get to meet Jerry and Sam, the other two owners as well. Kudos, guys. Kudos, fellas. Keeping Louisville fun and fun. Funky, I salute you. And if you were driving while listening to this, once you get parked, look these guys up online and you'll see what I'm talking about. Against the Grain Brewery and Smokehouse is located at 401 East Main Street in the Louisville Slugger Baseball Complex and, of course, Louisville, Kentucky. Their normal hours of operation are Monday through Thursday, 11 a.m. to midnight, Friday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 2 a.m., and Sunday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. The kitchen closes nightly at 10 p.m. So if you'd like to know anything else about what's going on at Against the Grain, check out the website, atgbrewery.com. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our blog on website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Well, kids, that's it. Please follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at The Brews Traveler Podcast. But one more thing before I go. I want to hear from you. I want to hear what you think. What craft brewery do you think that I must absolutely see in 2019? I look forward to your suggestions. Send them to me in a message on either Facebook or Instagram, or if you'd rather, send me an email. Cheers at thebrewstraveler.com. And also, please go over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and a glowing review. It would mean so much. The soundtrack for The Brews Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends Gaelic Storm. You can check out what's coming up for them in 2019 by going to their website, GaelicStorm.com. Marketing consultation is provided by Mission Digital Marketing. So until next week, if I don't see you at the pub or a tap room, I'll see you right here on the podcast. Remember, take care of each other and take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. And merrily, as always, you are the measure of my dreams. So thanks again for listening, and so long for just a while. More. I said, that's no fun, I've been there before So I jumped ship near Singapore With a cook from Mexico I got me a bowl of shark fin soup I ducked into a bar, got a couple of scoops Played some Texas stud with a circus troupe And they cleaned me out of dough Head with the Sultan of Brunei Had a small bit of a seizure On the way to Micronesia Got a bad case of amnesia
service you do for others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. Muhammad Ali, world champion heavyweight boxer, civil rights advocate, humanitarian philanthropist. Born January 17, 1942, Louisville, Kentucky. Died June 3, 2016, Scottsdale, Arizona. <laughs> 